This is Mary Lewis at A Tiny Homestead, the podcast comprised entirely of conversations with homesteaders, cottage food producers, and crafters. Today I'm talking with Dahlia at Welcome to Chickenlandia. Good afternoon, Dahlia. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. It's uh, it's actually raining here and cloudy, which makes it real hard to be high energy, but I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, we're going to get high energy. When we talk about chickens, we get high energy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, tell me about yourself and Chickenlandia, please. Oh, my goodness. Where should I start? So uh, my name is Dahlia. I am a backyard chicken educator, but most people know me as the president of Chickenlandia. Um, I My biggest, you know, the way that most people know who I am is through my YouTube channel. It's called Welcome to Chickenlandia. And also I have a website, welcome to chickenlandia.com. I also have a podcast called Bok Talk. That's B-A-W-K-T-A-W-K. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an online course and I just published a book last year called Let's All Keep Chickens. So that's the that's the cliff notes of, of what we're doing over here in Chickenlandia. Okay. And you're in Oregon? I am in Bellingham, Washington. Washington. Sorry. I always get them mixed up because it's the far left top corner of the United States. And I am from the top right corner of the, the United States originally. Ah. So so I'm like, I know Washington and Oregon are over there. I just never know which one's which. <laughs> they're, they're very similar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you get started in chickens? Because uh, it's an interesting thing to be so incredibly passionate about. Oh, well, I, you know, I always say I didn't, I didn't lie at night, you know, when I was a kid, lie in bed thinking I'm going to be a backyard chicken educator when I grew up. <laughs> you know, that was not, <laughs> not in the cards. I thought I was going to be a rock star. I thought I was going to be an actress. I was going to be the next great American filmmaker, all this stuff, talk show host, all this stuff. Um, that did not happen, but I did mo- I did spend time in Hollywood. I was working as a personal assistant, and I was working at Lifetime Television. And I was trying to get into the film industry, you know, in a more in a more professional way. Um, and then I met my husband, and we got married. We started talking about having a family, and. We were like, oh, we don't want to do this in Los Angeles. Like, we just we don't want to be in in LA. So we moved, and when we moved, I really felt like, okay, like this is this is my new life, and and it's okay. Like uh, the things that I thought were going to happen in my life didn't happen, and that's okay. But I really was, without knowing it, just mourning that that loss of those dreams. Mm-hmm. And I had my first child and my, my little baby boy, he was about 18 months old. And I also had a pretty intense uh, case of postpartum depression. And I didn't know that I had that. Mm-hmm. And the people around me didn't know that I had it. Because, you know, mothers are always just, they, they just go, they just do what they have to do. And you're not really thinking about that. And you're, you're not thinking about yourself, you're just thinking about taking care of everybody else around you. So it happens that people are suffering and no one knows. But I was like, 
I really started to mourn that loss of those dreams. And I started to feel like I had no identity beyond being a mother and a wife, which I loved. But I, I felt that I had lost kind of who I was. And I said, I'm going to get some chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, who knows? I, I call it divine intervention because why that, Mm -hmm. you know, I was living in the suburbs. I was in a, a subdivision that originally had an HOA, but it had, it, it just dissolved because there was nobody was, you know, we did, we just never did it. We never got together and actually did it. Mm-hmm. So I went to the farm store one day, you know, I mean, of course I did all the research and everything and went to the farm store, came home with a, a sack, literally a paper sack with 10 baby chicks inside. And I took those babies and I put them into the brooder and I just feel like a miracle happened in my life. Like something happened. My heart opened mm-hmm. and a new dream came in. And I became so incredibly passionate about these animals. And I, I mean, I've had cats. I've had dogs. I, I, lo- I have dogs still. I love my dogs. I love my kids. I love my family. You know, I I have other hobbies and stuff. But nothing in my life has ever gripped me as much as this chicken thing for whatever for whatever reason it just got me and i just couldn't stop talking about it and eventually it was only 6 months later um the local community college contacted me and they were like hey do you want to teach a class on chickens and i was like i was you know in my head i'm like um okay so i've only had chickens for 6 months like is this okay for me to teach a class? But I said, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And after I was done, I, you know, I did a whole bunch of research and really got all my information together. And after I was done teaching that class, a woman came up to me and she said, and she was an older woman, you know, you could tell she was like kind of a farm lady. She came up to me and she said, you know, I've been, I've been keeping chickens for 30 years and I learned so much today that I had, that I didn't know. And that, and that was it. It was like, okay, like, this is it. This is, this is what I'm going to do now. And, you know, now I make videos and it's kind of like show business. (laughs) It is. It really is. You're, you're not wrong. (laughs) Well, I think it's a great thing to be doing. I mean, there's a saying about to each their own and really everyone finds their thing. You know how people talk about finding their person? I think everyone finds their thing too. Yes. Yes. And I think, uh, I heard a quote, uh, it was actually from Steven Spielberg, which, you know, it's just, I just happened to hear this quote from Steven Spielberg Uh huh. and he said, um, the dream of your life is the one that sneaks up behind you. And that's not verbatim. It was something like that. Uh And I thought, Oh my gosh, like that's so true. You know, I, I, I didn't know that this was what I was going to do. I didn't know that this would be the dream of my life, but it, it is. And it really snuck up on me and I didn't, 
you know, originally I didn't feel comfortable with the idea of teaching on a grander scale. I taught locally for a long time. Um, but I would get, just get so many requests for help and people would seek me out and ask me, you know, please help, please give us information. We want information. And so it just, it was almost like this boulder rolling down a hill. It was like, I couldn't stop it even if I wanted to. It was just where things were going. Mm -hmm. So, um... I'm really grateful for it. I'm really grateful for the experience and um, grateful to everybody who, uh, you know, didn't let me give up. Yeah. Um, I understand your obsession. I just haven't taken it quite as far. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about my dog again because she is my favorite thing in my life. Um, awesome. I, have, I have four adult children. And we got a puppy when we moved into our new place three and a half years ago. And I was not a dog person. I loved cats. I liked dogs. And we got her and I fell in love with her. And it came time for her to be spayed. And I really debated whether I wanted to have her spayed because I really wanted her to have babies. Yeah. I, I really wanted to go deep into this raising puppies thing, this breeding dogs thing. Yeah. And then I did the smart thing. I read up on it. And I decided that the world has enough dogs in shelters who need homes. Yeah. I didn't need to have my dog produce more. And I decided not to do it. And we had her spayed. And it's probably a good thing. But I, I really did think about becoming a mini Australian Shepherd dog breeder because she oh, was so cute. Because she was so great. Those are I, cute little dogs. <laughs> yeah, and then I read up on it, and they are cute little dogs, but they need jobs. And yeah. she has a job. She she gets to chase her frisbee in the yard, and she has a long run. She gets all the exercise she needs. She's an excellent watchdog. She has jobs, but really, they need to be in a big area where they can run off lead and typically they're herding dogs so they would really like to have some sheep or some cows or something to chase and push into wherever they need them to go yeah and and i didn't want i didn't want to put out a bunch of puppies that people were gonna have as just house pets because i don't know that yeah. that's fair so yeah it's true too yeah so i i understand your your I, I need to do this with the chicken thing. I needed to do it with her too. And she's of course barking now. Um, but I didn't, but I didn't need to do it badly enough that I was willing to do it. If that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it a hundred percent makes sense. And I do have, do I have four dogs. I have, mm -hmm. um, I have Sholo at Squintley's. I don't know if you know what those are, but, mm -mm. nope. uh, I ha they are Mexican hairless is another name for them. Okay, yep. And mm -hmm. if you've ever seen the movie Coco, that's the dog, you know, the hairless dog that like leads yes. them into the, into the afterlife or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I got two Chihuahua Cholo at Squintly mixes and then I have a purebred Cholo at Squintly and then we have a poodle and they're all rescues and they all have <laughs> issues, but I just love them so much. You know, they're, they're part of our family for sure. And yeah. So I get the dog obsession as well. <laughs> yeah. We, we call her our fifth child. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And she is. She's, she's at the point where she's like a, a moody teenager right now. So 
but we love her and I talk about her way too much. So I'm going to stop right now about the dog. Um, so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to not take the opportunity to ask you questions about chickens because you're here and you're an expert. So my first question is, why do chickens lay an egg every day when not all fowl lay eggs every day? Well, it's kind of a it's kind of a um a misconception that they lay eggs every day. It really depends on the breeds that you get. Okay. There are very high production breeds that will lay eggs almost every day, but even the highest production breeds will take breaks. You know, they 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 will take breaks when they're molting usually mm-hmm. unless they're just like you know, some will continue to lay through the malt. That's actually not very healthy for them, but they've been bred so much to to be pushed to lay like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's not, if they don't have enough daylight hours, they need a certain number of daylight hours. It has nothing to do with the cold. It has some, something to do with the, the cycle of like day and night. Mm-hmm. If they don't have enough daylight hours... In the winter time, if you're not supplementing light, they will also take a break. Even if they're the high production breeds, usually they will take at least somewhat of a break. And certainly after they're, you know, after one year old, sometimes the chicken will lay through the winter the first year, but the second year it's very likely that that will drop off. And with any chicken, they're going to lay the most amount of eggs in their first year or two of life. And then that will drop off greatly by the time they're three years. And certainly production breeds are bred to lay the most eggs that you can get out of them for that first year, maybe two of life. Because most of those types of breeds, they don't live past a year because most of them are in factory farms. Um, And even like non-factory farms, like just operations that are ethical and everything, the, those chickens usually don't live past one or two years. They're they're replaced by a, a new flock to get to get you know to optimize that egg laying. Sure. But the reason why chickens <laughs> lay lots of eggs, and if you go to the jungles of Asia and you go and find a red jungle fowl, which is basically a wild chicken, they're not going to be laying an egg every day or every other day or five eggs a week or whatever. They're going to be laying a few eggs a month and then sitting on them and all that. But the reason why our chickens lay so many eggs is because we've selectively bred them that way. Okay. Um, over over the years. And even if you go to, let's say you go to, to India or you go to Africa, you're going to see um, different... There, they could, there could be breeds there that look a lot like the breeds that we have, but they're going to be different and probably the number of eggs that they lay will be different because they're more, they forage more, they, they're retained more of their wild nature and they've just not been bred to lay, lay, lay as as our chickens have in the, in, in the Western world. So there's my very long answer to your short question. (laughs) I I figured that it was probably something that we caused because we humans tend to bend things to our will a lot when maybe oh, we, we certainly don't do. need to. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get too far down that because it will be a longer discussion than anyone has time for today. Oh yeah. Um, Same. The other thing I was wondering is: Are chickens good 
mamas because we don't have a rooster and we have like 18 chickens right now laying hens and we've never let them have babies we've never let them be go broody and and hatch eggs and they couldn't anyway because they don't have a rooster right now but if you if you have a rooster around and you let the chickens actually sit on the eggs are they good mamas after the chicks hatch because i have no idea and i was curious well it it, that's another thing where it depends Mm-hmm. Um, not every chicken is going to have that instinct, that broody instinct to sit on eggs, to incubate eggs and to raise baby chicks. Certainly mm-hmm. production breeds have had that instinct bred out of them. And so they may live their whole lives and not ever, not ever go broody. Um, usually, uh, th- there are chickens like, uh, buff Arpingtons are a little more likely to go broody. Certainly if they are, um, breeder stock and not from a hatchery, they would be more likely to retain that instinct. And then bantams are bred more for broodiness, more for personality, more for, um, you know, being beautiful and being pets. And so they're also going to be more likely to retain that, that broody instinct. Um, there are some chickens, especially first time mamas, where they would sit on an egg, you know, a nest for five days, and you're like, oh, this chicken is really wanting to raise babies. And you go and you get some fertilized eggs and you put them underneath her. And then on the sixth day, she says, oh, you know, those mealworms look a lot better than this nest. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. get those. <laughs> And then I'm not going to come back to the nest and then, you know, all the, all the eggs are going to turn into duds. So that can happen. Um, it really depends on the chicken. Mm-hmm. And if you have a chicken that is raising baby chicks for the first time, it's certainly a good idea to keep an eye on them, make sure that they're setting on the nest for the time that they need to. Make sure, you know, check on them. Once the babies hatch, you need to go and check on them first thing in the morning and keep an eye on, make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to as a mother. But usually if they get to that point, they're going to be fierce protectors of those babies and all those motherly instincts are going to kick in. Um, a good mother hen will mother almost anything, you know, you could put... Uh, ducks underneath her. You could put peacocks, you could put guinea fowl, you could put turkeys and she's going to, I mean, some people have even put kittens, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she's going to keep them warm and take care of them, you know? So, um, I would say if, if they're, if they are naturally a mother hen, usually they're going to be good mothers. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is my husband had a brilliant idea of getting a rooster and letting nature take its course. And I said, um, I don't, I don't know. Let me, let me do some research on that. I said, because I'm not quite sure it's going to go the way you think it's going to go. And well, if the, yeah, if the, if the hens are not, if they don't have that instinct to go broody, then it won't matter if the eggs are fertilized, like they're not going to, they have to sit on the eggs and incubate them. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, we have friends that had some bantams that had babies and the mother hen was great. I mean, those yeah. chicks would just follow her around and she took good care of them and he'd seen that. And I was like, um, 
please let me do research before we do this because I don't really want a rooster. Roosters, roosters can be really mean and do damage, and I don't know that I want a rooster. And they can. I like bantam roosters because even if they're mean, it's like whatever, dude. <laughs> they're smaller too than a, a normal sized rooster, so yeah. that helps. Yeah. But Finally, I, I dug into it and I came back to him what I found out. And I said, do you really want a rooster? He said, after everything you just told me and I believe you, no. He said, if we want to get chicks, we'll get chicks from Tractor Supply or somewhere. I was like, okay, good. <laughs> and haven't done it yet. It hasn't been a necessity at all. We actually have been just swamped with eggs this winter because we put a light in the in the yeah. coop. and. Mm-hmm. So I have like 12 dozen eggs sitting on my table right now that I need to deal with. And Oh, wow. Yeah. I suspect half, suspect half of them are going to go in the trash because they're more than six weeks old. And uh, the other half are probably going to get frozen. So Yeah. Yeah. Freezing them is great. Yeah. It's a lot of eggs and can't sell them right now. Nobody in our area really wants to buy eggs at $3 a dozen. So. Oh, yeah. So we're stuck with them, and that's fine if I was baking, but we're now past the holiday season, and I'm not baking, so ta-da. <laughs> okay, so I, you have a book out. Tell me about yes. the book. Well, it is called Let's All Keep Chickens, The Down-to-Earth Guide to Natural Practices for Healthier Birds in a Happier World, and it <clears throat> is... A book that you can get if you're just getting into it or if you're in the in the research stage, you can get it. It's going to teach you everything that you need to know to get started. It's certainly more of a natural-leaning um, book rather than using lots of, of medications and stuff like that. I'm very, very natural-leaning. Not that I'm against that. It's just that's my preference. <clears throat> um, and then I also... The way that I wanted to differentiate this book from the many, many, many chicken books that are out there, because there's lots and lots of chicken books to choose from, and a lot of them are really good. But what was different for me is that I I, I fell in love with chicken keeping because of what it what it meant in my life, the the meaning of it, the practice of it. And so I wanted to pass along that feeling of doing something meaningful to the people that would read my book, because I don't think it, that it's just an important thing to do. Like it's, it's a great thing to do for your health, for your family's health. Obviously fresh eggs are great, mm-hmm. but obvious, but also it, it will bring a connection with nature into your life that a lot of people don't have. You know, um, I grew up, in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas, my parents were immigrants from Guatemala. They worked all the time. You know, we didn't even have a garden. Like we, we didn't, they didn't have time for that. It was, I was like the, you know, the perfect example of like the Gen X generation where we grew up in front of our TV and we were still playing outside and stuff, but we were very disconnected from the food that we eat. And, and it was really the beginning of that disconnection from nature and of a more of a, of a, um, you know, replacing it with technology, which is never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I wanted to connect with people that had also felt that disconnection in their life and kind of bring that back into their lives and see how they could use chicken keeping to bring that connect that connection with nature back. And even if you, you know, just spend five minutes outside with your chickens like that, that time is going to be so valuable in your, in your life. And a lot of people that uh, follow me and have my book, they're urban chicken keepers. And I, I really think that's important too. I think there's, there is a tendency within the rural community and I, you know, I'm in the County, like I, I'm not, not in the city anymore. Although I grew up as a, a very city girl. And of course I came here from LA from, mm-hmm. <laughs> from Hollywood. Like you don't get any more city than that unless yeah. you're in New York or whatever, or Paris. But, um, so like, I, I, I get it. And so that that's close to my heart. And I really feel like um, there's this tendency to kind of focus on, okay, well, you know, you should get some land and you should get chickens and you should have a garden and all this stuff. But there's so many people in this country and in the world that just are never going to have access to that kind of land. Like that's just not going to happen for them. And I feel like even so that they still have this birthright to a connection with nature and that that has been really taken from all of us. It's kind of like a universal uh, trauma that we've all experienced. So I aim to heal that. And I'd love to see chickens everywhere. Like I want to see them legal in every city. I want to see community chickens in cities. You know, apartment complexes should be able to have community gardens, community chickens. These are things that are really important to me. And so that's why the book is called Let's All Keep Chickens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also my YouTube channel is Welcome to Chickenlandia. My website is Welcome to Chickenlandia because it's a place where everyone belongs. I want us all to kind of come together this way. And, you know, and I also like bringing people together in general. I think, um, you know, right now we're really divided as as a world, you know, as a country, as a world. And I feel like if we can focus on one thing that is a common denominator among all of us, because pretty much every culture in the world has chickens within its history in a very significant way, and we've been doing this as a species, we've had the symbiotic relationship with the chicken for millennia. And if we can focus on that, then maybe there would be a little less focus on all the all the things we're we're fighting about, you know? So that is another, um, thing that's important that's in my heart. And and certainly I tried to communicate all of that in the book. Yeah. Um, you are not the only person who has said that to me, not only in the last couple of months, but just in the last couple of days in interviews that I've done, not about the chickens, but about the fact that we're all very divided right now. And that the thing that yes. you're doing or they were they're doing yes. gives them that chance to to breathe and step away from the things that divide us and toward the things that don't. And I'm starting to think that people who are passionate about animals or plants or nature probably know what's going on, probably know how to maybe make the world a better place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 
that's really the answer. And in fact, when I when I was researching the book, it was I, I had already started writing it, and then the the um, pandemic happened and the lockdowns and everything, and it was such a oh gosh, like it's like going through a wormhole. It was such a weird time mm-hmm. to be alive, you know. And I I say it was the quietest apocalypse ever. I I had really the bones of the book already written and I had written a lot of the other the other parts of it but I went back like after after covid happened and really after all the the lockdowns happened I went back and I changed a lot in the book because one thing that I realized I was like you know we Nothing was open. All the parks were closed. Everything was shut down. The kids couldn't go to school. Everything was shut down. But we could go out into the chicken yard. Like we had that. We mm-hmm. we we could still have that connection. And I started to think, oh my gosh, you know, what about the people in apartments? Like, what about the children? Mm-hmm. Like, where where are they going? What are they? what what is happening they can't go to the park they can't you know they can go outside but they're still is still not the same as like really connecting with nature and that's when i thought okay it is absolutely imperative that everybody understand that they have a right to this experience yeah and so i really went back and changed a lot of things about the book and also the my feeling about chicken keeping changed because i saw how in in the Western world, we were really starting, you know, chicken keeping kind of started out after after World War II, you know, from the 50s on. There was this idea of just like, oh, chicken keeping is like low class. You know, that's what poor people do. They have chickens, oh. you know. And then I, and so there was that. Not good. That's not good. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, because, because then like, you can't have chicken. You know, you live in a neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. You can't have chickens. There's an HOA. They say, oh, no, you can't have chickens. That's going to bring our property values down. All this stuff. That really is just imaginary. It's not like I understand where people get these ideas, but it's really my my agenda to dispel them because they're not based on reality. Mm-hmm. Um. But then I, I started to see, and certainly when the eggs, like there was that point in after the after the pandemic, um, in this, I guess it was the spring of 2023 or the winter, like early spring, late winter, where the price of eggs just shot up like crazy. And then there were like no eggs on the shelf. Uh-huh. And all these articles came out where it was like, um, oh, we, well, we know that the eggs are so expensive, but don't get chickens because they're really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh-huh. there were, then I, I started to see, okay, now there's these roadblocks put up um, before in front of poor people having chickens. Uh-huh. And it's becoming like this exclusive thing. Like you can only do this if you have $1,000 to spend on a coop. And and you only feed them chicken feed and you only, you know, you do all these things that are really products of factory farms. They're, mm-hmm. they're the information that we have that has been, that has come from factory farms. The science has come from factory farms. 
And we've been made to believe that we need to have all these bells and whistles or else we're, we're not doing it right. And there's a lot of educators that that are proponents of that. And I'm not talking bad about them. It's not bad information, but it's not the whole picture. Because if you see the poorest people in the world, you will see them next to their chickens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to jump in and support you on this because <laughs> back when we lived in the house that we lived in before, um, when that first wave of bird flu went through, not not this this not just a few years ago, but a while back, um, we decided to get chickens, and we lived in town in our tiny town, and we weren't technically supposed to have chickens, but it was a complaint based situation. So we told our neighbors, we said we would like to get yeah. four or five chickens. We're we have a shed that we're going to build, and would you guys be okay with us having chickens? No rooster, just chickens. And our neighbors were fine with it. They thought we're crazy, but they were fine with it. And then when we had extra eggs, we would share. And then they were really fine with it. Yes. Yeah. When you're nice and you share, people like it. <laughs> so yeah. that was all well and good. And then everything kind of settled down and, and the chickens aged out and that was it. And then COVID hit and we still had the shed and I said to my husband, I said, do you think we could go see our friendly chicken lady over a couple towns over and see if she has any chickens for sale? Because I would like to get chickens again. This is freaking me out. Yeah. And he said, why, yes, yes, we can. So we went and we got chickens and we had chickens again. And our neighbors were like, you got any eggs? I was like, yes, yes, we have eggs. You want some? Yes. Okay, cool. So in the way, the way that I want to support you in what you're saying is that we were a one-income family with four kids. Those eggs were important to us. Yeah. And then they weren't as important to us because our circumstances changed. And when we decided to move to acreage from a tenth of an acre lot to 3.1 acres, we brought the chickens with us and we got more chickens because chickens are fun. They're funny. Yeah. They are... <laughs> They they provide us with eggs. We are having French toast for dinner tonight because I got to use some of those eggs. <laughs> but, Yum. but it's so hard sometimes because people have been taught one thing and the truth may be another. And I discovered this talking with a lady about goats. She has goats. And I made the mistake of saying anyone who's ever raised goats or knows anybody who's raised goats knows that they are mischievous and they eat everything. And she said, not my goats. And I had to change my entire paradigm because her goats don't do that. But that's what I've been told my whole life. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally get what you are saying and what you're trying to convey in your book. And I am completely backing you up on this. And I have one more thing to back you up with. I po I uh, released a podcast on Tuesday and I can't remember the name of it for the life of me right now. But um, it's a guy who used to be in emergency medical services and then he got COVID and he can't do his job anymore. He has long COVID. Ooh. And he's now making jellies and jams and having great success with it enjoy and enjoying the heck out of it. But they also got chickens and I think he said ducks. 
And he said that the chickens give him a reason to go outside and be outside. Yes. And that he really, really enjoys it. And I did a little snooping about you so I could figure out questions to ask you because this is what I do. I do my homework before I interview people. And you did a TED Talk back in 2017. I did. And, and I watched the first like five or ten minutes of it. And you were saying that your chickens bring you peace or something yes. to that effect. And I was like, wow, she's done a TED Talk. But wow, what a thing to say. Chickens bring you peace and, and calm and joy. And I love that because I, I'm not going to lie. I don't love our chickens. They're not my favorite thing on earth to touch. But I do really like watching them because they're so silly. Yes. So in, in having said all that, everything that you're trying to convey with your book, I believe in completely. Oh, well, good. I'm glad. I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I had mentioned in the beginning that I had I had postpartum depression and I'm not saying that chickens cure postpartum depression. I always have to have that disclaimer in, mm -hmm. but, um, it's the same, it was the same thing with me. You know, I was forced to go outside every day and it didn't matter if I didn't feel good. It didn't matter if I didn't want to, you know, if I wanted to lay down all day or I wanted to look at my phone all day or whatever, mm -hmm. I, I can't, I couldn't do that. I had to take care of the chickens. I had to clean their coop. I had to be responsible for them. Of course, I had to also be responsible for my child, but that was just like second nature to me. It was not second nature for me to make myself go outside because I, I didn't, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up, you know, with that having been severed, that connection. Mm -hmm. And so it was a, a re introduction of that process in my life, this age old tradition in my life. And through my research with the book, I learned about my heritage. I learned more about my culture. You know, there's a lot in the book about my great grandmother who lived in the, you know, at the border of Guatemala and, um, El Salvador and <laughs> had chickens, you know, during the civil war, there was a 40, almost 40 year civil war in that, in that area. And how there, there's like the story of survival, not just with her, but of humanity. Like we've, we've had chickens at our side through war, through famine, um, through all these experiences and, got, you know, gotten to this point. And so I really feel that when somebody knows where they came from, when someone learns about who they are, and certainly when someone has moments of peace in their in their daily life, that they will show more compassion for other people. And so that's another part of it that I think is really important that we retain that that experience so that we can just be better people to each other. Um, so that's the other thing, you know, I can get pretty deep with it, this chicken thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're a chicken philosopher. Yeah. I, you know, I went to school for philosophy. That was like, <laughs> uh huh. That, I didn't graduate. I didn't get my degree, but I was, you know, there for philosophy. Um, now I'm a chicken philosopher. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Um, the other thing that's great about chickens is there are so many things that work their way into your conversation on a daily. Um, 
back when we first moved here, the chickens actually ended up having a run. Not only did they have the coop, but they had a chicken run off of the coop because yeah. we had a garden and chickens will destroy a garden if it's not fenced oh, yeah. in. So um, the chickens kept flying in the coop, flying the run. Really, they would fly out of the run and we didn't want them out of the run. And so after the seventh time, one of the chickens was out running around the yard. I looked at my son, who was probably 19 at the time, and I said, those little mother cluckers, and he about peed himself laughing. And <laughs> and he said, you didn't say the other word. I said, no, because they're mother cluckers. <laughs> and he just started laughing again. And so that that started a whole string of chicken words. And, yes. and, and I had already picked some up because friends of ours up in um, Cloquet, Minnesota, they, they ended up getting chickens to raise chickens for eggs. And I'm not sure whether they do the, the dual purpose for meat and eggs. Mm -hmm. But her name is Lucy. Her husband decided to, to quit his job and raise chickens. And their egg company is called the Locally Laid Egg Company. Mm. And so all the chickens' names are Lola for locally laid. Lola. <laughs> and there you go. They have the funniest catchphrases and, and taglines for their business. And so I already had some of them in the back of my head. And they kept coming up when I was talking about our chickens. And I was just like, chickens are so funny. There's just... Yeah, there's no shortage of puns, of chicken puns. <laughs> there's a plethora of chicken puns. Yes, exactly. And when I was watching your TED, TED Talk, I was talking to my kid this morning about you. And I said, she is funny. I said, she is almost stand-up comedian funny when she does the oh, TED Talk. You. And. He said, it's all chicken jokes. And I said, it's all chicken references. I'm, I'm not sure that it's necessarily jokes, but they play well. So I was, yeah. I was just very impressed that you had done a TED Talk. I was like, wow, I don't know oh, anyone who's done a TED Talk. <laughs> you know, I was like, I just had the idea of like, I want to do a chicken TED Talk. And I, I thought it was not going to happen because I had the same idea of just like, oh, it'd be so hard to do a, t you know, a TED talk. Like who, who does that? Mm -hmm. And I auditioned and they, they <laughs> picked it. And, <laughs> and so I was there with like all these like scholars and everything. And I'm like, oh, I don't even have a college degree, but here I am. <laughs> and mine was the, and mine was the last one. Like mine closed the show. Nice. <laughs> well, as I keep telling my, my kids over the years now, it's not necessarily a piece of paper that makes you an expert. It's your passion that makes you an ex expert. Yeah. So, but yes. yeah, I, there are some of the most brilliant genius people I've ever met do not have college degrees, including myself. I don't have one either. Yeah. And the last thing I thought I would be doing is talking to homesteaders and cottage food producers and crafters in a podcast format at 54 years old. You told me I was going to be doing this five years ago. I would have laughed myself stupid because I am shy and I didn't really like the sound of my voice when it's recorded and I didn't know what the heck I would talk about on a podcast. So, oh, you have a again, great voice though. Again, you have a great it's, voice. thank you. I, I, 
I have been told my entire life that I should do something with my voice because I also sing. I'm also terrible with stage fright. I, I have awful stage fright, so singing mm. in public doesn't happen. And so I am doing something with my voice now, and I can listen to the recordings back without cringing, and it works great. Um, But I had no idea that I was going to be doing this now. But I love it. I love meeting people through this this format and finding out about their lives and asking questions that educate me and educate the people who are listening, because I think that's important. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. Me too. It's really fun. I'm (laughs) hoping I'm hoping that something actually comes of it, because my husband said to me the other day, he said, how's the podcast coming? And I said, well, I said, I have 100% retention, whatever that means. He said, that well, means... Well, that means that people are listening to the podcast all the way through, which is very good. Uh-huh. And he said, you don't know what that means. I said, I don't. He said, ask our son. He will know. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I asked the 22-year-old boy, I said, so what's 100% retention mean on a podcast statistic or analytics? And he went, what? I said, Yeah, that's what? great. I said, what does 100% retention mean on a podcast analytic? And he he said a bad word at me (laughs) and laughed. And I said, I don't. What is the problem? He said, it's called dumb luck, mom. I was like, okay. So it's good. He said, yes, it's very good. Keep doing what you're doing. I was like, okay. So basically, I need to find somebody who does podcasts and who's been doing them and and pick their brains about what all the numbers mean but I think it's going okay and I really enjoy it and I'm not going to quit doing it so good for you so my passion is podcasting your passion is chickens and you were saying that that a dream is something that sneaks up behind you yes I, think I didn't that, say it. I can't claim that I yeah, said that yeah Spielberg you, said. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier I yeah. think that a dream is something that finds you when you didn't know you were looking for it yeah. And yeah. I didn't know I was looking for a podcast. I had no idea. <laughs> well, so, glad it found you. Me too. It's it's so it's so fun. I had no yeah. idea how much fun it would be. And I was nervous about talking to you today because you are you are probably the quote unquote highest profile person I've talked to yet, because everybody I've talked to has been kind of smaller not known in the way that you're known through YouTube. And well, that's I, how I started. Yeah. And I told we my husband, I, I took a long time. Yeah. I told <laughs> my husband, like, about, Oh, I need more, I need more. Yeah. <laughs> I told my husband about you and he was like, are you kidding? I said, no, her publicist <laughs> reached out. He said, Oh my God. I said, uh-huh. I said, I'm really nervous. He said, don't be. She probably puts on her pants just like everybody else one leg at a time. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so yeah, I was I was really jittery last night, and then I got up this morning. And I was like, I got this. She's probably super nice. So we're okay. yeah. You got this. Thank you. I, I mean, I I'm grateful to to be on and to be having these conversations. And yeah, it's great. And Grace is great. Great Grace, my publicist. She's she's really great. She's been reaching out to a lot of good people, and so it, it's um it's just been wonderful reaching out to everybody and and getting out there more and more. Before I let you go, because we've been talking for almost an hour, um, <laughs> um, how's the book going? Is the book doing well? You know, it's really hard to tell. Like, 
Here we go I with mean, analytics it's, it's, again. Yes. I, it's But see, like with a book, you don't have that because everything's kind of disjointed. Like you basically Amazon is like the one thing where you know in real time how mm. sort of how it's going. And I do rank, you know, my book ranks relatively high on Amazon in the in its category. And so, you know, originally it really came out of the gate, you know, it busted out of the gate. I was number one for a while. Um, and then you, you share that, you know, it kind of goes up and down. You share, you share that, those positions with several other books that are, that are in the industry. Um, but so far so good, you know, I, I'd love to write another one. And, um, I also have my online course. That's the, um, backyard chickens, one oh one, a chicken course for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you can find that on my website along with everything else. Like I've got a blog, I've got, um, links to merchandise and, and links to my book, mm-hmm. um, you can even even get to my YouTube channel from my website, and, and of course, I'm on all the socials. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's I just keep going, and and people keep being interested in chickens, and and it's been it's been a, a, a wild ride, but I'm still on it. <laughs> You've got some time to to do some more, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Dahlia. Well, I I I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys reaching out to me because this was really fun. You're so welcome. And I really appreciate you having me on. All right. You have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye.